Well, for those who were here for two services this morning, we got to hear two amazing testimonies of the saving work of Jesus Christ. And um, as I said in the first service, I never grow tired of hearing the testimonies of salvation. Do you? They are so rich, and, and it's, it's an amazing thing to be reminded that our God is a saving God. He's still saving people. He's still saving today. All over the world, He is saving people, bringing people into a relationship with Him. And it's great to be part of that great cause of Christ throughout the world. One of the, um, one of the things that occupies the thinking of our world is the, uh, the, uh, the frenzy around the idea of the end of the world or the world coming to an end. And, and speculation, of course, is rife with what it will look like and what exactly will happen. Does everybody remember the techie trauma of Y2K? Remember back 10 years ago? You all remember how uh, unnerved everybody was? Planes are going to drop out of the sky. And I mean, how many of you filled up your bathtub on New Year's Eve 1999? Did you do that? Come on. At least one person was honest and put their hand up in the first service. Okay, there we go. Lynn was insisting upon filling our bathtub up with water. I said, we're not doing that. And I said, I'll tell you why we're not doing that. I said, I tested the VCR. And I programmed the VCR to tape something January 2nd, 2000. And it didn't fry the machine. It didn't start smoking or anything. So I'm saying, if my Sears VCR is ready for Y2K, so are we. And... um, but we have all that, and of course, of course, one year later, uh, we had that terrorist trauma of 9-11. We all remember that, and people were wondering, is this the end of the world? What's going on? And, um, and then, of course, um, we've heard things like um, certain dates are significant. The newest one is 12-20-2012. You probably heard something about that. I personally think the, uh, the sign of the Lord's coming will be when the Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup one more time. <laughs> That's what I, I think will be the, because um, that, that, it's something to look forward to. I, I wanted to give all you people, a Leaf fans, just something to look forward to. It's yet a possibility, and um, that, that might be it. But, but you know what? When it comes to the end of, the ta- end of time teachings or end of world sensationalism, I guess I would call it, our world is amped up about the wrong things. Would you agree with me on that? I think so. And so, um, as I told you last week, we're going to start a couple of months now, a series in prophecy, and in particular in the coming of the Lord, and, and uh, I thought it would be good to start off with what would the Lord say about the end of the world, because, you know, he kind of knows something about it. And so, uh, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Um, our gospel, would you agree, is that we preach Christ crucified, buried, risen, and coming again. That's our gospel. That's our gospel message. All over the world today, anybody who's preaching the true gospel is preaching that Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again, and is coming again to receive his people to be with him forever. That's our gospel. And we call that the blessed hope. That's why I've entitled this series, Big Hope. This is what we look forward to and we long for and we're excited about. Do you realize that there are 260 chapters in the New Testament, and 318 references to the coming of Christ. Uh, So it's a pretty important thing. Why do I believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? Because he told us he is. In uh, John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus said this, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back 
and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Also, uh, as Jesus ascended into heaven and the disciples were standing all around, an angel of the Lord said to them this in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way who have seen him go into heaven. So I believe that Jesus is coming again because he himself told us that he is. So as I said, I want to take you on a bit of a prophetic tour, a, a last things excursion, if you will, a look into the future. And the major tour guide for our series is going to be um, the Apostle Paul as he wrote the letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, how far we're going to go into the future, nobody really knows. Only God the Father knows. And he hadn't even confided in the Son when Jesus was here uh, on earth in Matthew twenty four thirty six. Now, by the way, this, this excursion is going to take us into some pretty heated waters. Uh, some areas of disagreement, even though we see dimly and, and uh, we know in part, as the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but we fight over these interpretations. Uh, friendships have been separated. Relationships are prevented. I, I did some historic reading on the, uh, on, the, on the wars of eschatology and end-time teachings, and man, it... it it got ugly, and it still gets ugly in some places. In fact, I, I can see out there, there's some people that got, they got their arms folded already, and they're saying, don't you be telling me that Tony Blair is the Antichrist, because I'm walking out of here if you do. I can see out there right now. So I'm not going to tell you something like that. Uh, I'll leave that to other people. But, um, but uh, I, I know you're out there, and, and, uh, and you're saying, you know, I sort of know, or I think I know where Rick is all at and everything like that, and, and I'm prepared to disagree with him, and, and uh, that's okay. You can be wrong if you want to be, but let, can we do something? Can, can, we, can we agree on something? Can we agree on four things as we embark upon this series? Four things. Can we all agree that Jesus Christ is coming back again? Do we agree on that? He's definitely coming back. We know he's coming back. The second thing I think we really need to agree on is that we are all likely wrong in some of our specific details. Because we're human, we're flawed, and this is, it, this is uh, heady stuff. It's, it's difficult stuff to, to wade through. Uh, we all know that when Jesus Christ showed up the first time, there are all kinds of people who thought it was going to be different than it was. And they were all wrong. And they had the scriptures. Let's agree that it's really hard for me. It's like Arthur Fonzarelli saying I was wrong, you know. It's like, I can hardly say this, but, but you know, let, let's agree. <laughs> let, let's agree that I, I might be wrong, and, and uh, uh, you know, I can't believe that. But anyway, um, let's all agree, let's all agree that um, we better take care of our present relationship with Jesus, okay? Or your future encounter with him is not going to go very well. That's really important. In fact, I think that's what end-time preaching is all about. That's what prophecy is all about. There's coming a day. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, what? The judgment. That's a reality. And let's agree that we will come at the Scriptures in a fresh way all over again. We'll, we'll, we'll agree that let's see what the Bible says. And, and let's, um, let's look at that and, and, and let's draw our conclusions as best we can from the scriptures. Now, I know people through generations have continued to do that and they've, they've come to differing opinions and I understand all of that. But let's, 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 let's let the scriptures speak to us. Let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Michael Green, in his excellent commentary, the book of Matthew, writes this. The purpose of prophecy is not to give us history written in the future tense, but like film previews and hazard warning lights on a motorway to lift our hearts in expectation or in warning. 
I think that's a good word to us this morning. I think that's exactly what it's all about. Now, if you have your Bibles, and I I know you do, let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. That's where we need to be this morning. And we'll realize that as we come upon this text, that the disciples are asking Jesus a couple of questions. It says in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. That's a very, very um, picturesque picture, you know. Jesus is turning his back and walking away from the temple. That's loaded with uh, imagery because the, the locus of God's activity is moving from the temple and he is the locus of God's act, the Father's activity. And so he is leaving it behind and is really important and he's going to go on to teach about this. And, and, and he says to them, he says to the disciples who are standing there, do you see all these things? The buildings, the stuff he asked around you? I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, so he sat down to teach them. Disciples came to him privately, and we find out in another gospel that it was, guess who? Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Who else? And uh, they said, tell us, when will this happen? What's the this they're talking about? Well, the, when will the stones all fall down? When will this temple that you're pointing to, when's it all coming down? And, second question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. I want you to notice how many times he says the word many here. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of, and really the right translation here is the many... Um, will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. You get that? He who stands firm to the end will be saved. Not how you begin this thing. It's that you're there at the end, standing truthful and faithful to Christ. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, that's an important word. It's about divine choice, about those God has brought into his family. We'll stand firm. We'll stand firm to the end. That time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible, 
It's not. See, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other because the gospel has been preached all over the world. People will come from all over the world. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer's near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 42, therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Verse 44, so you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We'll leave it there. This is the word of God. Well, as I said to you, Jesus Christ is answering two questions. He's answering when is the temple going to collapse and fall as he had prophesied, as he had stated, and when is going to, what's going to be the signs that accompany the end or his coming. And so he has overlaid in this particular chapter those, the answers to those questions. It's a really, it's a really challenging thing to dig through here and, and try to uh, determine uh, where he's talking about the temple and when he's talking about the sign of his coming or the end, end times. So that presents a challenge for us. I also want you to know that that's all he is addressing. He's not addressing all the kinds of possible accompanying events that are, that are uh, written throughout all of the scriptures about the end times and what's leading up to that and all that comes with that. It's not his purpose to choose to do that. here. It's not all done in one chapter called Matthew 24. So if you want to know all of the things that are going on, you have to read the whole Bible. So let's understand that that's the groundwork, that's the parameters with which we are working. So he sits down and he talks about the end of the world history. And I think he talks from three, three vantage points, really. He talks about the next things that, are going to, that the disciples are going to face. This is going to be the stuff that's going to pour down right upon you right now. Then he's talking about something that's coming along in a little bit from now. Down the line just a little bit. And then he's talking about the future. He throws kind of statements in, in there like the statement in verse 29, which are, are, are right back from Isaiah 13, verse 10, and Isaiah 34, verse 40, and what's later going to be stated in Revelation chapter 6. And it's John Wright. So he's talking about stuff way in the future as well as he unfolds all of this. And each thing is turning more lights on the next thing that's coming along. That's what prophecy does. That's what progressive revelation does, which the scriptures are all about. So here's what I think Jesus thought was really important as we take a few things out of this text and try to, try to wrestle some kind of uh, reality out of this thing. The things that I think Jesus thinks are, are really important for us. The first is this. He says, do not be deceived about the coming of the real Messiah. Notice in verses 4 and 5, watch that no one deceives you. 
He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to his very, he's talking to his four inner guys. Guys very important to him. Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and, and will deceive many. So he, right, right away, he, he reminds them that the combination of the possibilities are going to be a lag in time between what he, between what is to come and his ascension into heaven and his return, in the light of the possibilities there's going to be a lag to that and the eagerness with which we so desire to, to have Christ return, there is always the tension and the possibilities that might be, lead people to believe in anything. And we've seen that. The end of the world ideas are, are constantly being pushed on us. Messiah-ish kinds of sensationalism. In the previous generation, the writings of Nostradamus, which are being foisted upon us, and ideas like they are so prophetic. And we've seen it in our own generation, if you're old enough in here, the Jim Jones cults, the, the David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. We saw the Heaven's Gate suicides. Those are all related to end-time sensationalism, false teaching, false ideas of false messiahs. We've seen cults rise up in our own time. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, uh, Scientologists, Christian science, all of that stuff having a, 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 a sensational and, 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 and bizarre idea of, of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And, and he says here, watch out. That you're not one of the many who will be deceived. Particularly by great signs and secrets. That's what it says down near the end, verse 23. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and they'll perform great signs and miracles and deceive, that, that, to deceive even the, the elect if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time, he says. This stuff is coming. So he says, so if anyone says, psst, Jesus is out. Or he's, he's, he's come back and he's in, a, he's in a private convention hall in Ajax. Don't listen to him, Jesus said. Don't pay attention. Uh, great signs and, and, and uh, sensational things are, are not the, the fundamental way that, that you test the things of Christ. Jesus gave us in, our last, in his last sermon to us our, our marching orders, which weren't to go and perform incredible signs and miraculous things. He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what else? And teaching them to obey whatsoever things I have commanded you. These are the signs that accompany the legitimate things of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Back in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus had already taught the disciples that, that many will come and, and declare that they are, uh, are uh, presenting miraculous and sensational things. And he'll say, well, you know, I don't even know you. It says here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does what? The will of my Father who is in heaven. This is the key sign of the, the legitimacy of, of those who claim to be uh, with Christ and know Christ. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I'll, plainly t- I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is not the sign. Jesus said, don't be blown away by the, the so-called signs of the miraculous and the, and, and the performance of the sensational. The Egyptian sorcerers did all of this kind of stuff when I was bringing the people out of Egypt. 
Make no mistake about it. The real Jesus is credible, like his word. The real Jesus, when he comes the second time, will be visible. Won't be hiding out in some cult somewhere. And, and uh, the signs, signs can be counterfeited. Obedience is the real test. The best test and expression of spiritual is the moral. Make no mistake about it. And the second thing I think that Jesus points out here is very important to him is that we ought not to be alarmed by all the scary things going on in the world. What's he say? You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. It's not going to get better. This world is not going to get better, Jesus teaches them. So don't become unglued about it. The earth itself is frustrated. Read in Romans chapter 8. talks about the earth. Frustrated. We've seen evidence of it this week. The frustration of the earth. An earthquake in China again. Killing several thousand of people. We've got this, this thing in Iceland. As Kelvin was praying. Uh, grounding all of the technology of, uh, air technology of Europe. The earth is telling us this story. The very story that Jesus is telling us. He said this is the way it's going to be. Don't become unglued about that. Satan is sponsoring, killing, and stealing, and deceiving, and destroying. That's who he is. That's what he's doing. That's what it's going to look like. Uh, Greg Laurie has written a a little booklet called, Are These the Last Days? And and he just reminds us of some of the real statistics uh, of a world that is is the, the same world that Jesus is prophesying here, is stating it will be. World War I, 10 million people were killed. By World War II, 50 million people were killed, depending on what statistics you participate in. And the time between World War II and now, more millions of people have been killed than those two wars put together. Do we have any idea of the carnage of our world? 800 million people go hungry every day in our world. 24,000 people die a day from starvation in our world. Rumors of wars and famines all over the world. 38 million people presently live with HIV AIDS. 95% in developing countries. 8,000 people die every day of AIDS. 8,000 people. In terms of of trauma upon the earth. You remember the tsunami that took place December 26, Boxing Day 2004? You remember that thing? Do you realize that it, it moved the entire island of Sumatra 100 feet southwest of its original position? Do you realize that? The whole earth shook. In fact, the shaking was so devastating, according to the U.S. Geological Society, that the earth's rotation stopped for three microseconds. The U.S. Geological Society also tells us for the pa- in the past 50 years, the number of recorded earthquakes has increased every decade. We've seen it ourselves. Just in a few months, Haiti, Chile, two in China, the Baja. On and on it goes. And Jesus said, don't be alarmed by this. I told you in advance, this is looking toward the end, the coming of the Lord. 
These things are just the beginning, Jesus says. This is the Braxton Hicks stuff in the world. Uh, If you're a guy in here this morning and you don't know what I just said, either you are totally out of touch or you're old and you never were in sort of a maternity situation, one or the other. Braxton Hicks kind of birth pangs, you know? They're the the ones that are, they come, but they're not labor. It's on its way. That's what we're talking about here. It's on its way. The the earth is, is giving notice. So don't be alarmed. Don't be unglued. Just know. But it's not intense enough in terms of the description of the things we read in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, uh, these things that we're seeing are not yet intense enough in comparison to what you read and what is coming when the end is really here. The end is still to come. The third thing I think he's pointing out is that we ought not to lose our faith when it costs us. Don't lose your faith. He says, then you're going to be handed over to be persecuted, put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. Why do people hate Jesus so much? I'll tell you why they hate him. They hate Jesus because he exposes what they already know in their lives is wrong. That's what he said in John chapter 3. Why do people love darkness instead of the light? Because they don't want the light to shine on the darkness that's in their lives. The conscience that they have long ago put to sleep, Jesus Christ, he brings that thing to life again. People don't want that. And so they hate him. He forces people to look at ourselves truthfully, and we hate him for it. So what will characterize the end? Apostasy will characterize the time between the cross and the coming. Because that's really what he's talking about here. The time between the cross and his coming. Persecution will begin right away. You can count on it, he's telling them. And and it'll keep up the momentum, because we live in a Christ-phobic world. People everywhere are talking against Jesus Christ. Christians. Be a loss of loyalty. Be a lot of cowards who try to be liked by everybody and want to avoid pain and betray their brothers and sisters. They're perfect targets for false prophets and false teaching. You've seen people leave. You've seen people bail, haven't you? From Christ. That's why we keep on meeting together. That's why we urge each other, come back and we got to meet together and spur one another on and keep the hope alive and, and, and keep a burden for the lost and, and spur one another on to love and good deeds and keep, keep on going, keep with the faith. Stand firm because you got to stand firm to the end. It doesn't matter what you did some one day when you're nine years old, you walk the aisle of a church somewhere. It's going to matter whether you're standing firm when Christ comes to get you again. That's what matters. So we keep encouraging each other. We keep telling each other. These are the things. This is the way it is. I think Jesus also said, fourthly, don't get dirty when wickedness swamps you. You think it's bad now. It's going to keep getting worse. More and more wickedness. He talks here about because of the increase of wickedness. And this kind of wickedness that he's talking about is the lawlessness. It's a, it's a, a wickedness that's a massive scale. We're seeing Lots of harbingers of, I think, the kind of massive wickedness that is coming in terms of a wave and onslaught where good is being called evil and evil is being called good. We see that. The glory is in their shame. 
The kind of wickedness that Jesus is talking about here is the kind where, where people, they, they have a, a parade to honor their sin. You know what kind of things I'm talking about? We're seeing that all around us. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And he points out that there's going to be a key marker distinguishing between those who are truly Christ and those who aren't. It's about love. They'll hate each other instead of loving each other. Loss of love. A loss of love for enemies, a loss of love for one another, and a loss of love for the Lord. These are, these are key markers for who's truly Christ's. How you separate uh, false teaching from real teaching. Because uh, those who love their enemies and love Christ and, or love the, one another and love the Lord, they do so because they, they have the love of God in them. And it moves its way through them. It's not going to be about spectacular signs and, and wonders that you can do. It's, it's whether or not you are, you are living a life of, of morality and serving the will of God and obeying the teachings of Christ. It, it has everything to do with how your love is for your, your enemies and your, and your brothers and sisters in Christ and the Lord. These are the issues that are the heart of Jesus. This is what he's looking for when he comes back. Professing believers are sifted from the real by how they in love endure to the end. They will be saved. There's a a very important um, way Jesus puts this. He's talked about many, many, many. And then he says the love, he says the love of the many will grow cold. But, and this is the way it is really written, but the one who stands firm. You know, Jesus, he he doesn't, he always talks about, um, it won't be the crowd, you know. It won't be the crowd that follows him. It won't be the crowd that's faithful. It's that one stands firm. That's why, you know what, I I get all amped up about one person coming to Christ. That gets me excited. It gets me excited that there was a a testimony this morning about one coming to Christ. It gets me excited about a couple who came forward this morning, gave their lives to Christ. It gets me excited about one. Because Jesus is excited about one. He talks about one. He talks about one standing firm. And I hope that every one of you are the one he's talking about. They're going to stand firm to the end. You're going to be there. You're going to be there when it counts. Not follow the immoral majority. And it says here that preaching will persist. This gospel of the kingdom, that's another mark, you know, another key marker of the real of whether you're real, of whether, whether we're real, whether this church is real. The markers are following the will of God and obeying Christ. The markers are love for one another. And the marker is a zeal for the gospel of Jesus Christ to get that message out to people. Those are key markers that Jesus thinks are really important. And what he po- points out here Preaching will persist bringing salvation to those who receive it or cursing to those who don't receive it. I like the way one writer puts it. The purpose of time is mission. That's what Jesus says here, really. He says, there's going to be a delay in my coming and and the gospel is going to be preached throughout the world. The purpose is, is mission. Now, I need to to tell you that that's the four things that I think four key um, observations, four general observations that the Lord makes. I want to give you three specific details as we close this down. 
Don't get the idea that I'm closing in the next 15 seconds or anything because these are important details. There are three specific details. The, the, the next one is the hardest one for us, and, and, uh, uh, but it's important. He says, don't miss the meaning of the thrown down temple. They asked him the question. He had already said to them, this, this thing's going down. But, but it's not just going down for no reason at all. God doesn't do that kind of stuff. History is uh, purposeful. He says here, so when you, are, when you see standing in the holy place, verse 15, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. You know what he says? Go read Daniel. That's what he says to those guys. Go read Daniel. You need to read Daniel and see what Daniel saw. So I, I would invite you, because Jesus did, to go to Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 in particular. Ja- Daniel chapter 9 talks about the end. Daniel prophesies the end. And Jesus is not wanting the disciples in this next 30 or 40 years, what he's said here, to miss the meaning of this temple destruction in Jerusalem. Because he mentions the, word, the, the phrase abomination of desolation. He pulls that out of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 24, and by the way, I, by the way let me just say this to you. Um, I would encourage you to come back tonight and come back on, on Sunday nights because Sunday nights I'm going to try to plow in a little deeper with you and we're going to dig out some stuff and unpackage some more stuff because this, this can't be done. You uh, can't just take a surface look at all this stuff. Um, tonight, I've given you a handout in your bulletin. Tonight, we're going to talk about some nomenclature so you, you understand what terminology we're using, what it really means and all of that. Uh, Ken Reimer's going to be here. Ken and Kathy with us tonight from Zambia as well. So it'll be a great night. So, so come on back. Daniel chapter 9. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people, Israel, and your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Uh, that one verse, uh, Daniel's taken a sweeping, um, a sweeping description of the history of Jesus Christ. Talking about Christ coming and taking care of uh, our sin and then set up an everlasting righteousness and seal up vision and prophecy and all of that. Seventy sevens. Seventy times seven. Weeks of years is how interpreters pull that. Now he says, know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which back in the B.C., the Old Testament times, Until the anointed one, meaning Jesus Christ, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, which equals 69 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, so after the seven sevens and 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off. When did that happen? At the cross. And we'll have nothing. The people of the ruler ruler who will come... Rome will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. Desolations have been decreed. So there's a destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of the sanctuary. And then he talks about the confirming of a covenant. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Who's the he? Well, we find out some ruler who we've interpreted as in other places and other teachings that we will find in the scriptures, the Antichrist. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven or the final week, prophetic week. In the middle of that prophetic week, 
7. He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Now, you know that that has to come later because the temple's already stated it's been destroyed chronologically. So this has to be another temple. And will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And Daniel chapter 12 places all of this at the end. At that time, verse 1, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. So it will be, and then he tells us when that time will be. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes will sleep in the dust of the earth, will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So there will be this, the, the resurrection at the end. And in verse 11, he talks about this abomination again. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. If you divide that by 365, you'll find out that's 3.5 years. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 13th, 1,335th day. So you have these chronological events that Daniel, Jesus said, guys, go read Daniel. Daniel tells you what's what's happening. And so he lays out here the answer to their first question, when will this happen, this destruction of Jerusalem? And we find out that it happened in 70 AD. The Messiah was first slaughtered at the cross. Then Jerusalem was sacked, just as this was prophesied. And of course, the the statement was, Jesus said, flee to the hills. And and have you been over there? You know they fled to Masada. They fled to the hills. It says it would be bad for pregnant women and women with little babies because you can't flee with that situation in your life. And the Sabbath, it'll be bad if it's the Sabbath. Pray that it isn't the Sabbath. Why? Because on the Sabbath, you could only go so far on a day's journey. You weren't allowed to go a long journey. And so we find out from the writings of Josephus Josephus in the War of the Jews that there were horrendous things that took place in the sacking of Jerusalem. uh, 100,000 of uh, of Israel were taken captive. 1,100,000 were slaughtered. Uh, Josephus writes that there was cannibalism of the parents eating babies because they had no food. And Jesus says, this is just the beginning. There's coming a time when there will be a covenant made and, and Daniel's teachings. And he talks, then he layers over top of it the kinds of horrible things that are yet to come. It'll be so bad, he says, that it had be cut short for the sake of the elect. So he says, don't miss the, don't miss the meaning of the thrown down temple. The far meaning is Daniel's end time prophecy. It'll be great distress. It'll be inaugurated by the abomination of desolation, which, by the way, didn't take place in the temple of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 which will end sacrifice and offering. And obviously that has to be happening all over again. They don't have a temple right now. They'll have to have a temple. Jesus teaching this. How will these things line up? Well, we don't know all of the details, but we are going to piece together certain things that are taught here. The the other observation that, that Jesus makes, I think a specific detail is, do not wait until it's too late. It says here, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. I remember we were, uh, I, I, I don't know, I was maybe nine years old and we were at a Sunday school picnic one time. And a whole church was gathered. And, and for some reason, it was a perfect timing. There was like a meteorite shower as the, as the, as the lights were going, as, as the da- dusk was coming. And the whole sky lit up. And I can remember as a little kid being really impacted because all the adults were going, 
Jesus is coming back. This must be Jesus. one of those moments, you know, when the sky just lit up and, and Hal Lindsey's late great planet Earth and all that stuff was out there. There was, there was all kinds of momentum about the coming of the Lord. It was like, Jesus is coming back. And, but you can, you can pay attention here. When he comes back, it says his standard is going to be unfurled. They're going to all see him. And he's saying, don't wait until it's too late. There'll be this cosmic disruption. It's going to be a day like no other days. If you read Zechariah 12, 13 and 14, it says there, there'll be no frost on that day. It won't, there'll be no uh, cold on that day. It'll be a, a day without night. It'll be a day like no other day. You read the prophets, how they write this. There'll be this cosmic disruption. And there'll be a sign. The Son of Man himself will appear in the sky and all will see. But here's what's significant. It says here, and the earth will mourn. The earth will mourn. You know why? Because there'll be all kinds of people who realize this is it. There's no more opportunities. We missed the opportunities to turn our life over to Christ. There was a young woman who came to see me last Sunday morning and talked to me about a friend of hers who's been debating with her about the reality of God and salvation and all of that. And he says, I, I, I couldn't give my life over to God. I just think he's unfair. And he goes on to explain a few things about what he thinks about God and all that. And he has a full understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I said to her, you, you know what... Um, and it's a big hang-up about God not being fair is because what if God hasn't told some person in the farthest reaches of, of, the, of the earth about himself? And I said to her, you know what you need to tell her is, you know, this unfair God has told you the gospel. And why aren't you responding to it? You know what? In the absence of a response, if that guy's still around and Jesus comes, he'll be part of the mourning, realizing it was Right? We miss the opportunities. Jesus Christ, although he, he unfolds things for the disciples here, what he really wants to tell them is, you better be ready. Uh, this thing, you, you, can't, you can't hesitate on this. Don't, don't wait until it's too late. Something spectacular, power and glory, a loud trumpet that will sound, calling the elect from the four winds, from the four compass points, because the gospel has been preached throughout the world, and that gospel will draw people to Christ. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 2.12 said, Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your, in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. It'll either be a time of mourning or a time of blessing. And finally, he said, Do not be indifferent. He said, look, no one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. The Son purposely chose not to know the exact details when he was here. Only the Father knows. So anybody who ever tells you they know? Anybody who ever writes a date somewhere? Anybody who ever writes a book about a date? They're kind of false teachers. Because Jesus said nobody knows except for the Father in heaven. And since that's the way it is, be ready. Be ready. Do not be indifferent. Learn the lesson, he says here in verse 32. He, he talks about the flood in Noah's day, and he said they, they, weren't, they weren't ready. Therefore, he says, keep watch. He talks about a householder who, who, who should know. If, if he knew a thief was coming, he, he'd be ready. He says, well, be ready. Make sure you're ready. You must be ready. Live in light of the expected but an unexpected coming of Jesus Christ. 
These, I think, are the observations that Christ made. Don't be deceived about the real Messiah. Don't be alarmed about the scary things in our world. Don't, don't lose your faith when it costs you. Don't you get dirty when wickedness swamps you. Don't miss the lesson of the thrown-down temple. As it was then, it was a hint of what it's going to be like. Do not wait until it's too late. And don't you be indifferent. Because Jesus is coming again. And we don't know when. Our Father, we prayed all along, and I know this is your heart. That this is not for the purpose of an interesting series on future speculation. These are the truths of the God of history who knows the beginning from the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And the purpose of all of this, Lord, is how we ought to live in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray as we soak on this for just a few moments and think about it, about readiness, Jesus could come right now and there will be no more opportunities for faith. Lord, I pray that you would emblazon the reality of that on our heart and motivate us to respond and receive Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Jesus Christ is coming again. He really is. And we don't know when. That makes it very important for us to be right with Christ right now. I hope you've examined your heart this morning, and uh, the question that's really imperative on a teaching on future things is, are you ready for the coming of Jesus Christ? Are you personally ready for His coming? Uh, That's the most important question you need to settle this morning. Are you ready? If Jesus Christ comes back right now, are you ready for Christ? Our Father and our God, as we pause for prayer and heads are bowed, Uh, Jesus Christ came to die on the cross of Calvary to forgive us of our sins that that those who would respond to that truth and would seek forgiveness of their sins could receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and be ready for the coming of the Lord to be with Him forever. As our heads are bowed, I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who would say, you know what, I'm not ready, but I want to be ready I want to be ready this morning. I'm going to put my hand up and say, I want to know that I'm ready for Jesus Christ. I don't know that I'm ready this morning, but I want Christ as my personal Savior. I'm putting my hand up this morning to say, I want to be ready. Is there anybody in the room this this morning who would say that? Anybody, anywhere? Yes, okay, thank you. Anybody else? Yes. Another person. You want to be ready for Christ's return. Okay, back there. Yes, all right. Father, you are the God who sees into our hearts. And you see the response in this room this morning from those hearts. And I pray, Lord, that no one would leave this place unready for the coming of Jesus Christ. But that every heart would be yours. They would receive you and be ready for Jesus to come whenever that is. It could be today. Thank you for those who've made decisions this day, Father, because you have drawn them to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Now, those who put their hands up this morning, I want you to come down here and meet with the pastors as other people are leaving so we can pray with you and, uh, and uh, rejoice in what God is doing in your heart. You come and meet with us right after the service. God bless you. We'll see you tonight.